Welcome to our Clothed with the Sun daily podcast, our reading and meditation on the gospel of the day. I am Chuck Kalazi. Today is Sunday, March the 3rd, 2024. It's the third Sunday of Lent. Man, it's flying by. And today we read from the gospel according to St. John. Since the Passover of the Jews was near, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. He found in the temple area those who sold oxen, sheep, and doves, as well as the money changers seated there. He made a whip out of cords and drove them all out of the temple area with the sheep and the oxen, and spilled the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And to those who sold doves, he said, take these out of here and stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples recalled the words of scripture, zeal for your house will consume me. At this, the Jews answered and said to him, what sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews said, This temple has been under construction for forty-six years, and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. Therefore, when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they came to believe the scripture and the word Jesus had spoken. When he was in Jerusalem for the feast of Passover, many began to believe in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. But Jesus would not trust himself to them because he knew them all and did not need anyone to testify about human nature. He himself understood it well. So this reading pops up a lot, and it's very near and dear to my heart, not because I'm an angry person, although I certainly have wrestled with my anger in life, But it shows Jesus getting angry. Anger is an emotion. It's not a sin. I mean, we call one of the seven deadly sins, sometimes we call it anger. I like to use the word wrath or hatred. That's probably a little bit more accurate because anger is an emotion. Let's just say you see someone abusing a child. You should get angry. Let's just say someone is abusing you. You're allowed to get angry. You have permission to get angry. And anger hopefully then will lead us to do the right thing in those cases. Now, we don't want to hold on to our anger. If someone's hanging on to anger their entire life, well, that's a problem. So that needs to be dealt with somewhat on the spiritual level, perhaps somewhat on the psychological level. Why is this person angry? Very often it deals with wounds in one's childhood or at least trauma in one's life going back a little while. So Jesus is the healthiest, holiest person that ever lived, obviously, being God, God who became man for us. And yes, he loses his temper, and even that's the wrong way to say it, because he doesn't lose anything. He's in control the entire time, but he shows anger when it comes to the religious leaders and when it comes to worship. Uh, sometimes when I'm teaching, I will take kids to church to pray with them. And I always tell them ahead of time, this is different. You know, as far as your behavior goes, the going into church is different than being in the classroom or being anywhere else. It's certainly different than being on the playground. Sometimes they think, oh, we're going for a play date or something. No, we're going to the most sacred place to do the most sacred things. And therefore it's that much more important that you behave And then when they still misbehave, that's usually the one time I don't get angry in the classroom. I get angry when people 
act up in church. There's so many things going through my head right now about just frustrations at Sunday Mass that I experience when people, even daily Mass sometimes, but especially Sunday, when people treat it like it's a social event. They come in, they talk, sometimes they're talking all through Mass, they get so annoyed if it goes long, they can't wait to leave, they're leaving early, and then they're talking at the end of Mass when, I don't know, I, you know, I I like people, I like to talk, but there's a time and a place. And when I'm in church, I'm there to pray, I'm there to go vertical, I'm there to go up to God. I'm there to be with him. I'm there to open up my heart and have some vulnerability with the Lord. I wanted to talk about that vulnerability a little bit. Jesus's heart breaks on certain occasions in the scriptures. And also in Sister Faustina's Divine Mercy Diary, Jesus speaks of his heart breaking. And it always has to do with worship. It also has to do with children. That's another point there. But it always has to do, see, when it comes to children, Jesus never actually vents anger, but he does say extremely harsh things. You'd be, rather than harming one of these little ones, you'd be better off with a millstone tied around your neck and throw to the bottom of the ocean. Okay, that's pretty harsh. But when it comes to religious leadership and worship, he shows anger. It's not just this scene that we heard this morning. It's also the horrible things that he says to the Pharisees and the religious leaders. Why? Because of what they represent. They're held to a higher standard. They are held to the standard of representing God and therefore representing the love and mercy of God and not taking advantage of the people for their own gain. But other times, Jesus' heart breaks. He looks at Jerusalem before he goes in for his passion and death, and he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How I long to gather you in as a hen gathers her young. And he says all these other beautiful images from nature, saying how much he loves the Jewish people and how much he loves the city of Jerusalem and how much he loves all that that represents and how they've rejected him and how now they're going to put him to death. And his heart breaks because of it, because it's all about the relationship and he has opened his heart. This is one thing I want to challenge everybody to think about when you go to church. Jesus in the tabernacle is not just a decoration. It's not just something that happens to be there. It's rather that he, God Almighty, has made himself so vulnerable that he's right there for us. We could abuse the heck out of the Eucharist, and a lot of people do, especially with communion on the hand. There's crumbs falling everywhere. We could abuse him to no end, as many people do when they receive him unworthily. The list goes on and on and on. All the Eucharistic atrocities that occur. People taking the host and not receiving it. We find hosts all over the place. But Jesus makes himself vulnerable. You and I know about vulnerability. If you open your heart to someone and they don't reciprocate, that hurts. Jesus, a lot of the suffering that he endured on the cross for us, that in a mystical way is still present to us, it has to do with us rejecting him, not just from a distance, but he's opened himself to us. In the Divine Mercy Diary, he talks in various places in that book. It's a big, thick book. And he talks about how he is present in the sacraments. It talks about 
him being present in the tabernacle, but also him being present every time you go to confession, when people receive baptism, confirmation, anointing of the sick, holy matrimony, that he is par excellence present in those sacraments, and he makes himself vulnerable to us. And he says, you receive me like I'm a dead object. How many times we receive communion, we're paying him no attention whatsoever. Imagine receiving your children like that. Imagine receiving your spouse like that. And how that other person has a right to be heartbroken and to be angry. Your spouse has a right to be angry when you do not reciprocate their love. I mean, it's true. You can have an argument, but you work that out. And yeah, I'm not married, so I can't speak about that from experience. I know it can be very difficult, but I'm trying to help you to get the the overall sentiment here. And that is when one person makes themselves vulnerable, it really, really hurts when the other person doesn't do the same. When we go to church, we're supposed to make ourselves vulnerable to Jesus. Imagine like a sword that wants to pierce our hearts. We, we see that image again and again in scripture and in devotions. Jesus' heart has been pierced for us. He wants us to be open to his love, his blood that spilled out for us. He's present in the Eucharist. When you receive, I mean, we had confirmation the other night. And I was heartbroken. I was, I mean, I'm so proud of my students, but I was heartbroken to see it was just a huge church and it was filled with people just walking around talking and loud and, and people just completely ignoring the fact that Jesus is right up there in the tabernacle. God almighty broken for us. His broken heart is up there in that tabernacle. We should be bowing down in awe, but instead everybody's walking around talking, acting like he's a dead object, acting like he's not there which indicates to me how many people in that church don't go to church, don't practice their faith, and yet here a special sacrament has been given. Now, I know with my students, we as a school, we did everything we could to prepare them. They went to confession. They went to mass that morning. We talked about it. The kids got excited about it. We talked about the gifts and the fruits of the Holy Spirit. We talked about charisms. We talked about baptism and how confirmation completes one's baptism. And when the priest giving the confirmation went around and asked questions, my students had their hands up answering his questions. I was so proud. So that's beautiful. But still, and I I know maybe I need to focus more on the positive, but I can't help but see how many kids, you know, and and we know this from our statistics, less than 1% of eighth graders go back after they've been confirmed. Less than 1% go back to church, less than 1% even go back to class the following week if they're in religious ed. Less than 1% because we're, we're messing it up. We're doing it wrong. We need to admit it. We need to figure out something else, even if it means we lose our precious numbers. And even if it means in losing our precious numbers, we lose some money because Jesus is more important than the money and Jesus will provide the money. We need to be able and willing to lose some things on the surface, some worldly things, in order to heighten uh, our awareness of the sacredness, in order to favor the sacredness of what's going on here. And it's about intimacy. So my heart breaks for Jesus when he is mistreated, when he is ignored, when, uh, you know, I mean, 
as confirmation is being given to these kids, we believe Jesus is present. More than that, we believe the cross is present. We believe Jesus is literally opening up his heart and grace is coming to these people receiving confirmation from the broken heart of Jesus. Jesus makes himself incredibly vulnerable. Remember, God became man and man has feelings. He broke his he he allowed his heart to be broken open, his body broken, his blood shed. He makes himself extremely vulnerable in the sacraments. And this is what the Divine Mercy Diary talks about. And yet how often we receive him as a dead object. How many people receiving confirmation don't even know what it is and could care less? I have to say, honestly, even though I learned about it in eighth grade and received it in eighth grade, luckily I had a good youth group in high school where I finally came to understand what I had received and then started putting things into practice, started actually living the Christian life according to how it was given to me in my baptism and confirmation and the Holy Eucharist. So there is intimacy pouring out from the heart of Jesus. There is vulnerability. And this is why Jesus gets mad. We have a right to get mad. If somebody comes into your home and desecrates it, I said to the kids the other day and giving them an image of how respectful we have to be in church. Imagine if I just come into your house uninvited and stomp on your dog, how horrified you'd be. Well, imagine the reality, even though God is so patient with us, the reality of us going into church and being disrespectful in the presence of the Lord and heaven forbid receiving communion in a disrespectful manner. Honestly, I'm going to say something, I'm thinking of something very controversial, but it's true. It's true. We have replaced holy water with hand sanitizer. And how often do I see extraordinary ministers with the Eucharist all over their hands Instead of purifying their fingers, they wipe hand sanitizer and then they wipe it in such a way that you know particles of the Eucharist are flying all over the place. That's called desecration. In canon law, if we knowingly desecrate the Eucharist, we are de facto excommunicated. How often Jesus becomes desecrated these days. Jesus is vulnerable. Jesus' heart breaks for us. It opens for us. A lot of times people say, oh, Jesus can take it. He's God. Yeah, he can take it. But at the same time, he's enduring greater pain than the rest of us ever even would because of his perfect sensitive heart and the heart of Our Lady breaking as he's dying on the cross. And these are all the things that he's died for. We were talking to the other day. Some of my students are really outstanding. And we were just they were noting how the Ten Commandments are in order. When we understand that love of God is first, when we understand that respect for God and respect for the things of God comes first. Yes, the three that have to do with God, the three first, the first three commandments, they're the most important. And then the next one, honoring father and mother. Why is that next important? Why is thou shalt not kill only number five? Because it has to do with sacredness. It has to do with respect, reverence, fear of the Lord. The Bible says fear of the Lord is the most important of the gifts. And so honor father and mother, that's about family. And family is sacred. Family is central. And the authority that God gives us, that he shares with us. And then it gets to thou shall not kill. And then thou shall not commit adultery. Well, why is that higher than lying and stealing? Once again, it has to do with family, the body, our identities, human love, opening hearts, vulnerability, all these things. 
So as we recognize these things, we just, it's a call for us, especially as we go through Lent and we're striving to work on our spiritual lives, to open up our hearts, open up our hearts to Jesus, especially in the Mass, especially in adoration, but anytime we pray, but to open up our hearts to realize how his heart is open. It's open, it's tender, it's sensitive, it's all embracing of you and me, and he asks us to reciprocate that that love that he wants to pour out to us. Let us open up our hearts to Jesus and let us receive all the love that he wants to give, and let us always be respectful. Respect isn't even a strong enough word, but it's a good start. Let's always be reverent and respectful of the reality that Jesus is giving us in his church, in the sacraments, in so many ways, but most especially in the Eucharist. Have a great day. God bless you. Mm -hmm.